Welcome to River City. It is my, my name is Antramika Knight, and it is my pleasure to welcome you here this morning. Um, here at River City, we start every uh, service reading from the psalm. It's a psalm we get from the lectionary, which is a collection of daily scriptures. Um, there are churches all across the world and believers who incorporate the lectionary in their worship as well as in daily prayer. So if you are at a place where you're like, I just want to read something on any given day, you can always go to the lectionary and find readings. Um, today's reading is from Psalm 82, and it says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God, sons of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you on this Sunday. Thank you for the opportunity to gather. We welcome all the visitors, and we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We know that you are in this place, and we pray for those who are seeking you, those who feel like you are they are lost from you, Father God. Most importantly, God, we just ask that you resonate in our hearts, that there's less of us and more of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we transition into um, prayers of the people, for just a minute, I want to ask you to recall a time where you can see that God's goodness chased after you. Because part of what prayers of the people is, it is a declaration, it is prophesying into the, the circumstances in the darkness of the world and saying, his goodness is chasing after them too. And our faith is built and it is encouraged when we can remember the times that God's goodness has chased after us. It reminds us that when we pray for the persecuted church, we're not just praying for the persecuted church because he asks us to, we're praying for the persecuted church because we know that God deeply, deeply loves them and he loves you and he's chased after you and he loves them and he is chasing after the church. And so for just a moment, before we go into praying, I want to challenge you to recall when God's goodness has chased after you. And with the same faith that was built with that, with the same momentum that came with that, may we then with our own lips declare that he is doing the same in the nations, that he is doing the same in our government, that he's doing the same in the city of Smyrna. It is our testimony that builds, right? It's our testimony that builds and encourages the faith of those who are just feeling weak. So God, I pray that you would bring to mind 
that you would lay on our hearts something very specific for each one of us to enter into, to pray for. That this would not be something where we observe somebody else, but that we enter into. There are people all over the world that are crying out to see your goodness chase after them. And may the prayers of our community encourage and affirm them that their spirits would feel comforted. And so for just a moment, let's pause and with the same gratitude of recalling all the times that you showed up in our life. May us, may we prophesy into the dark spaces. May we prophesy to the, to the jails. May we prophesy to the chains and the dark rooms where people are being held captive and to the churches that are having to be met in secret and to the girls that, that aren't allowed to learn at all or to the young children who aren't even allowed to know that God um, is a thing. May we prophesy into those spaces and say, goodness, chase after them. Be present because your presence changes everything. for our government and for our leaders and for the rooms that they meet in and the phones that they talk on and the books that they read and the, and the information that they gather. We pray for their families. We pray that you would be near to them that your word and the Holy Spirit would be the guidance, the guidance that they are craving. May your truth and your justice rain down. We pray for the River City community for those of us who were singing that song and were feeling very much like we can't see your goodness. For those of us who feel like the gospel is very, very complicated. May you meet them exactly where they are. Remind them that you are with them, wrap your arms around them. And may we as their brothers and sisters, as their friends, as their neighbors, may we remind them of your goodness through word, through action, through truth.
thank you that we can face tension and we can face darkness and we can face unknown. And we can say that you have always been faithful. Even when we don't understand, you have always been faithful and you will continue to be faithful. Be near to the brokenhearted, be near to the orphan, be near to the widow, be near to the poor, be near to the lonely and the isolated and the unseen and the unheard. And may we offer our voices as testimony of how your goodness has chased after us. I'm going to jump in right away, okay, because we don't have a ton of time, and I prepped. I haven't preached in eight months, so you're getting eight months' worth of my thoughts in like 15 minutes, all right? This is it. So we are going to jump in. Um, I thought the worship was awesome, and you guys hit the nail on the head with a couple songs in terms of what the message is about today and the lectionary passages. So thank you guys so much. That was great. Um, I want to start by even just reflecting on a couple of those verses that we sang, like that's that, that song, The Simple Gospel, right? Like rejoicing in the simple gospel and laying down our religion. And I think that today really gets at the heart of the message. We're going to jump into the Good Samaritan passage where Jesus is like, you know, he got the lawyers like, what's the most important thing in the law? And he says, love God and love one another. And that, I think, even in the midst of, I love that the finance update was today, and we see this gap between, like, you know, that 24 people make up 70% of the giving in our church. And you see this in a lot of churches where there is a few people who do a lot. And, the, and what is most common in American churches is that, and it's not the body coming together. And I really just personally have always dreamed of a community that's just different. Like, I don't want to just be like any other community. I want to be a God community. Like, I want to see, I want to be a part of a church where things are different from the world. And I think that that's possible. And as I just reflect on my own journey um, this week, I've been, I was thinking back to when I first became a believer, and when I was about 16 years old, my life wasn't super awesome. I was a pretty rebellious teenager and had a lot of anger, and at one point, I was like the kid that was always grounded, um, so, oh, what's up, Charleston? That's my, that's my neighbor today. And which, by the way, uh, today's message is about neighborly love. And my neighbor showed up. That's, that's lit right there. So I was literally, like as a youth, I was grounded all the time. So if you don't know what grounded means, that means you can't live a normal life. It means you are bound to do nothing. And so like my parents, I don't think they really you know, they would admit this, but they didn't really know other disciplinary tactics. So it was like, you're grounded for a week, and then I wouldn't follow that. So they're like, well, you're grounded for another week. So this compounded, and I was thinking I was grounded for like six months by the time this story starts. And they said, look, we don't know what to do with you. So they were going on a mission trip to South Africa, 
and we're like, you can either come to this mission trip with us to South Africa, or you are going to go to this youth camp, uh, which a lot of our youth just went on. That was the camp I went to. And so I decided I don't want to go to South Africa for sure, right? So I'm going to go to one camp. And I uh, went to this camp, and God transformed my life like that. Um, within a week, I began to believe that God was real and committed my life to him. I literally, my parents, I went, came back home that week, uh, after that week, and my parents were still gone. I went into our guest bedroom, and I painted the walls all red and painted crosses on the doors <laughs> and made it into a prayer room. They came home and were like, I was, everything was different. I was, they were like, okay, you're no longer grounded. I never was another day ever. And that's the trans type of transformation that happened in my life in a week. And so even for the youth who came back, like there's so much possible in your life. And don't let people tell you that your zeal isn't real because it is. And, um, you know, I, I remember those early years first becoming a Christian, and maybe you can relate to this, but there was this passion and belief that things could be more than you ever thought. You're like, oh my gosh, there is, I, you start reading the Bible, and it feels like a light just clicked. And there's hope, and there's joy, and you read things like Acts 2, where all of the believers in the early church are selling their possessions and living in community and eating each other's homes. And there's, there's people added to their number daily. And it's amazing, right? And then you live life. <laughs> and then you start going through church and another church and another church. And you start to experience suffering and loss. And you realize that reality kicks in a little bit. And you're like, well... And so a lot of us can even hear the youth share, and you're like, yeah, but wait till blank happens. And I think I just want to, like, restore our hope that things really can be better than we think. They really can't. If you remember those earliest years and days of your faith, they can be that. And it can be possible if we believe it and do it together. And that's the message of the Bible is a message of hope of I'm actually going to live in this hope. And there are a couple of ways that you respond. When you have this, when you have reality that settles in, and especially regarding church, like you start to say, okay, there's this chasm and how, what do I do with it? And you really, your, your options are one is you just give up. You're just, I don't, I can't figure out how these things work together. And this is why our youth are leaving churches by the masses because they're hearing one thing, and then their experiences are totally different. So they're just like, I don't want to do this anymore, and they leave. And so we have, so that we have that happening. We just give up, which I don't think is probably the case for most of you here because you're at a church on a Sunday morning. But the next response is you just give in, and you let the world dictate how we do this here. And that's not the right option. And that's what Israel did. Israel gave in to the way that the world was telling them they were supposed to live, and they responded through the law that was supposed to give them a stepping stone in order to liberate and, be, and find freedom and to serve their neighbors, and instead they use it as a tool to abuse their neighbors. And I think we have the same 
capability as Christians in our culture to go in and say, you know, like, we're going to create church in a way we're going to darken everything. We're going to live stream the service so you don't have to talk to anybody. These are ways that we give in to the culture in order, I mean, even like, there's, this happens in most church, a lot of churches now is it, we can't get kids volunteers, which is the same case with us. And so we just pay people to watch kids. Like that's the option because the church doesn't want to be church. That's, that's, I don't want to be a part of a church that's like that. Like, and so I, I feel like today is this like prophetic call to be like, we're going to, we're going to, I want to live the same thing as a community that I lived as a youth where my parents were gone, just like Josh and Sarah gone. And I want to be like, when they come back, I want to say, we are a new people. Like, we made a decision together to go and be the people God's called us to be because I know that you are here because Christ is in you. And if he's in you, he's in me and us together. And he also means if we're in this community, then he's in this community. And so there is a living hope within us. And we can believe. And we can move. I think we're going to take a step forward today. And I just want to invite you into that. Like, let's take a prophetic step towards who God has called us to be. Are we good for that? Okay. So I want to start today with a riveting passage out of Amos chapter 7. So let's go there first. This is not a passage that is real fluffy, but it is in the Word. And I think it has a lot of relevance for us today. So we're going to start Amos chapter 7, verse 10, or verse 7. You guys read there, I'll read here. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a plumb line. So for those of you who don't know, and I would assume you don't, a plumb line in this culture would have been like a long string that had a weight on the end of it, and you would stand at the top of a wall and use it to measure whether or not the wall was straight or not. So what he's saying is, I'm going to stand over Israel, and I'm going to see whether or not you are crooked. So then the Lord said, Behold, I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be desolated, and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. And then I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go down go from its land into exile. Then Amaziah said to Amos, go, you seer, flee away to the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there do your prophesying. But no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. Then Amos replied to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, go, Prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord. You are saying you shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. 
and your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Amen. Good, right? That sounds like a song. Feel that. Spontaneous song next time. So, what we have to understand about this passage is that Israel is obviously very crooked. And they're crooked. We find out why they are crooked and why they're being judged. And we find it in the next chapter. There's a, there's a few verses in chapter 8, verse 4, that says this. Hear this, O you, you who trampled the needy to do away with the humble of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain in the Sabbath that we may open the wheat market? to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger and to cheat with dishonest scales so as to buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals and that we may sell the refuse of the wheat. So he's saying, he says this in Psalm 82 where we read earlier today too. There's this, they're, they're trampling the people who are on the bottom of the social ladder. And so this is, this is God's response. He's like, I'm not gonna stand for that. And I think that we read it and we think, ooh, this is really harsh language. Have you guys ever seen the movie Taken? Where, like, you read, like, Liam Neeson is, if you don't know the story, Liam Neeson is the father of a, of a girl, teenage girl, who gets taken by sex traffickers. And the whole story is him pursuing these sex traffickers to try and set his daughter free. And the whole time, you're, like, cheering for Liam Neeson. You're like, yes, get him, get him. And we do that not because we're bad people, because we're moral humans. And there is something wrong about abusing someone. And so this is what this story is. It's like, this is God's people, and they are abusing other people, and God's not okay with that. And what we actually see, if you look at this through the story of the whole Old Testament and Israel story, God has been super gracious. It has taken so long to get to this point, thousands of years where he's been just waiting, please, please turn your ways, please turn your ways, please turn your ways, and they don't do it. And so we actually see a story of extreme grace through this, that God is, and a God who is extremely justful, justiceful. How do you say that? I don't know. Just. Mm. Simpler than it sounds. And I think what you also see in this story is that the nation and the kingdom of God just don't fit together. When you see in here, there's Amaziah, who's the priest. He's supporting Jeroboam, who is the king. So you have a, a person who is essentially the leader of the church, right? The, the, the leader of the religious order. And he's supporting the king. All the while, neither of them are right. And so I think that we can actually do this. And this is why Christian nationalism just doesn't work. We... Because the, the, true, the truth comes from Amos, who's sitting on the outside. And so I think that, I'm, I guess I'm curious of like how might our religious structure as a church be hindering the thing that is most important, that deep love for our neighbor. Because that is the thing that God is not okay with here. He's not okay because they're not doing the thing that they are called to do. And we see this in Genesis chapter 12. This is the very beginning of God's call to Israel. If you'll pull this up. 
It says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Wow. So there's this, this call for Israel at the very beginning. Their origin is all about them being blessed for the sake of another person. You see this? It's, it's love me, I will bless you, but the only reason you're being blessed is so that you're going to another person beyond you. It's all about their relationship to the, to the neighbors around them. That has never changed. That is the, the very thing that we will read in a, in a minute that, God, that Jesus says to the lawyer when he says, what's the greatest commandment? It's love God and love your neighbor. Nothing has really changed in that respect. And it's not a call to love God and do church. That's, that's not what Jesus says. It is a call to love God and love your neighbor. And, I, and we often do church and we do religious things that aren't actually loving our neighbors. And sometimes they actually get in the way, right? Like Amaziah is getting in the way of truth and he's the religious figure. And so I, I want to like, like liberate us, be like, it doesn't matter what happens here. Like what is happening there among you? Like who do, like I think Josh said this the other week. It's like half the people in this room don't know the other half. Like, that's not okay. That's not loving neighbor. And I feel like, and, and this is, I know this is kind of like hard to hear, and I really want to get into this, but Amos's message is not liked. Like, he is the one who's, who is chastised for speaking truth. And I feel like I need to play the role of Amos today. Be like, we've got to do better than this. We've got we've to love each other like really love each other in a deeper way and believe that we can do more than what the world is telling us or what other churches have done or what our experiences have been or how cynical or jaded we are. We can be and do so much better. So I want to look at this passage in Luke chapter 10, and I think that it really gets to what I'm trying to say here. So if you'll go there. So we'll start in verse 25. So turning to, uh, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, put Jesus to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So that worked out well. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, he, the law had said what was true and what was good. And Jesus is, is, is going to give his thumbs up to that. But the lawyer who would have been, a, he would have been an expert in religious law was looking at this and thinking, 
I have to justify my, my religious structure so that I don't have to actually love my neighbor. He's like, he wants his neighbor to be the people that he's comfortable with. And that's not actually what neighbor means. It never was what it meant. And so Jesus isn't really redefining anything. He's just telling him, you're not, you don't get an out. And so, verse 30, Jesus replied and said, how about this story? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. By chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion, and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, as you do when you have a cut. Just imagining, like, my kid scrapes his knee, and I'm like, Katie, grab the corkscrew. (laughs) He put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him which is very interesting because he won't even say the name of who it was. He won't even say it was the Samaritan, just the one who showed mercy toward him. Jesus said, go and do the same. So Jesus is bringing back the simple gospel. He's bringing back the simplicity of you are simply called to love God and to love your neighbor and to love radically. And so I want to just take a moment for us and like imagine yourself in that ditch and there are people that pass by you in the midst of your troubles and there's people in this room that are in the ditch of your life right now and the people who pass by are the religious people like that the people who pass by you can probably look across the room and see them i mean i I think back to there's uh someone who and i won't give any names but there's somebody who has recently left our church, who uh, they were going through some family struggles recently, and they never really had anybody from this church reach out to them and care. And what they did find is that they did have people that reached out. They were not Christians, and so they found a lot of support outside of the church because the church wasn't stepping up, and those people are no longer part of our church. And um, I heard that story recently, I felt really shocked. Like, how does that happen? Like, it, but I think it's this evidence. Like, this isn't a message. I don't, this message today isn't for the church. This message is for our church, us. Like, like we've got to do better. We have to do better. I, I, I don't want to stand in that place like Amos and hold the plumb line to River City and say, where are, where are we crooked? And what ways are we, are we lacking? And I think if we're not stopping for people in ditches in this room, then we have no relevance outside of here. No one wants to come into a space that doesn't have that. And I want to, like, 
I think I see it happening. Like I see people stopping in ditches for people, but I see it. I see the same people doing it over and over again, and they're like really tired. And we've got to have all of us stepping in. It takes an entire village, right? It can't be just a few. And so, like, I want to celebrate and be like, yes, like, when we see this happening. But I'm like, man, it's like the same person again. And that's hard. And so, like, we, we do have a, we have a beautiful vision in this church. I've been here since before there was a church service. I've seen, I've seen it when there was, like, 15 of us, when it was a small group of people. And I see a beautiful vision that's been expanding. I see a lot of passion. I see Jesus living in the midst of us. And I see a lot of big ideas. Like we had a dinner down on the table about three or four months ago where we wrote sticky notes on sticky notes, the ideas we have about how to see transformation in our community. And guys, I have a whiteboard in my office filled with sticky notes of actual ideas of ways that we could engage with our community. And we can't even do it. We can't do those things because we are not together. We have to stand together. We have to, we have to be together before we can be out there. And we see this in the list last passage I'll, I'll read to you, and we'll close out. But we see this happen in the church at Colossae, where this church actually had a lot of disagreements, but they had something in common that surpassed all of it. And this is the beginning of Paul's letter to to the Colossians. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven, that future hope that we know is possible. They had a hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world. It is constantly bearing fruit, increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. This community, they had a lot of disagreements. The, some of the things that they wrote to Paul about in, in disagreement, they were, they were disagreeing about eating habits, festivals, Sabbaths, worshiping angels, just that, just that small thing, self-abasement, standing on visions, and intellectual inflation. These are the things that, these aren't like small agreements about like whether or not we should have a flag in service, right? Like these are big things. And the thing that Paul says is love unites you. Love is what holds you together. Like, let's just put aside everything. Let's put aside all of our economic differences, all of our racial differences. Let's love each other. Let's, let's put it all away because the thing that holds us together is love and it is patient and it is kind. It sees the deepest places of every person and you are the agent for that love and the people are, that are in ditches in this room need that type of love. And what causes us to love well? It is a hope. It is a hope that we can be greater than we ever imagined. It is not a hope in what we think church should be like. That is not hope. 
Hope is, it says in verse 27 later, it says, hope is Christ in you. And if Christ is in you, he is in me. And he is in us. He is in our world. And this is what the gospel does. It, I think we try to overcomplicate it. We're like, look, we, we need to like rebrand it and call it like the table and put it downstairs if people are going to come. Like, this, it's not as complicated as this. It's not as complicated as some fancy campaign. It's, it's, this is what the gospel does. It comes to us on its way to another person. It, it comes to me, and it has to go. Like, it has to keep going. It doesn't, that's not how this relationship with God works. If you embrace loving each other deeply, we will affect our community. It will be radical, and I believe that. And so what I want to do is I want to invite all of us to stand. And we did this um, a couple, gosh, it's probably been about six months, but I want to do kind of a prophetic act with all of us. And if you know me, this is not actually normal for me, but I feel like this is extremely vital. Uh, Yeah, you can come up. And I'd like to, um, as a community, to consider where where we have been or where we are and where God is taking us. And so with that, I'd like for all of us to turn this way towards this window over here. And I just want to pray, and I ask that you would pray with me, agree with me. God, we look this way, believing God, like remembering where we have been, remembering all the things that you've done, all the good things that you have done in our lives, all the goodness that you've shown us. God, the love that you have poured out from the very beginning. When when all was lost and we had nothing left to offer the world and you provided purpose and joy, every good and perfect gift has come from you. And we, God, look at the place where our community has been and is currently, God, to the lack of volunteers, the lack of giving, to the, to the lack of belonging and acceptance that people feel even currently. And God, we repent. We just repent. God, we want to confess to you our, and myself, God, the places, the times where I have just chosen to turn my eye away from the person in the ditch to continue on with church practices and all the other stuff and God, we want to just turn away from those things. God, help us to be like the Samaritan who's willing to just put it all away, to, who's willing to take money out of their bank account to pour it out on a person they have no idea who they are, who will, they'll never see again, but it doesn't matter because that is the mission that we are on. And we turn away from that. And if you will, everybody, if you'll turn towards the opposite end of the room. And God, this is the place where we're going. This is, the, this is the, the hope of our faith. Restore the place, God, the, the hope that things can be amazing. God, would you restore the youthful zeal, bring even more stories of our youth. God, that they would fill us with faith, that, we, that even when Josh and Sarah come back, there would be this sense of belonging and love for one another and that it would fill us and well up within us, that we feel like when we see a person who's standing or sitting alone, God, that we have to reach out. There's nothing in us that can say no anymore. 
And so, God, would you highlight who those people are, God, the, the deepest connected places. And, God, even in this moment of us all turning in the same direction, God, we make this commitment together. Not like, oh, well, everyone's not going to make a commitment to be with me. I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have everything it takes. But, God, would you fill us with bravery and courage that we can do it together because you are in us and we are together with you. You can face me now. There's some prayer teams up here. Um, I would encourage you, like, especially if people start clicking in your head, even in this room, or people that you don't even know, that today that you would engage in a relationship, it takes a conversation. So do that today. And we'll release in just a moment. In Jesus' name, God, I release this community, God, to be the people of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.